Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. Today, we have a conversation with Chris Anderson, who has written a new book called Theology That Sticks. It's all about how we can be better at worship music. I guess we can use the label worship music. I don't know if I really like that label, but I've already said it. On Sunday mornings (laughs) in the local church, how we can do better with uh, music. This is a great interview to add to our previous interviews with Matt Merker and Bob Coughlin that are also about Christian music. So this will uh, kind of round out a, a conversation going some places those previous uh, interviews did not go. So on the other side of the music, we will begin the interview with Chris Anderson. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay. The title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, That's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? I am? Yeah. (laughs) That's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ... You're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. Joining us today is the founder and president of Church Works Media, a ministry whose goal is to provide resources for intentional local church ministry. He is also the Senior Vice President of Global Opportunities with Biblical Ministries Worldwide, a missions agency that partners with local churches and their missionaries to plant healthy churches everywhere. He has over 25 years of pastoral experience and has authored hymns like His Robes for Mine, and more recently his book, Theology That Sticks, The Life-Changing Power of Exceptional Hymns. Chris Anderson, welcome to the Do Theology Podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. been looking forward to this. Well, I am a former missionary with Biblical Ministries Worldwide, so I'm curious if you could elaborate for us what it means to be Senior VP of Global Opportunities. What, is it, what does that mean exactly? Um, that's a funny question. Uh, the new president of uh, BMW is uh, Andrew Bennell. He replaced Paul Zager, who you guys would know well from the IFCA. He says, I'm the vice president of cool things. I kind of just get to be creative, entrepreneurial with how to promote missions. Um, So I'm writing, I'm I'm traveling, preaching a lot, Um, recruiting, but also I would say my major focus is um, networking with churches and trying to get churches excited about not just collecting people, but, but deploying people. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of, a just, what, what do we call it? Mobilization, um, is, is the big idea. And, you know, I know my pay grade, I, I can't call people to missions. Um, you know, Lord of the Harvest has to do that, but I can agitate, mm-hmm. you know, I can make people think about missions more. So yeah, I've enjoyed it very much. So biblical ministries worldwide, or as we in the industry call it, BMW, <laughs> you, you always have to qualify that when talking with people who aren't familiar with it because uh, I, exactly. Well, the you'll remember the name, and then yeah. uh, most of our missionaries drive broken down Chevys, but BMW will <laughs> stick. Well, well, how how do would you describe BMW as a church planting organization? Uh, what are the unique characteristics about it? Why should someone considering missions look into BMW? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think I think there are a number of um, kind of distinguishing marks uh, that I've enjoyed. I was able to serve on the board uh, for probably six or seven years before transitioning. So I know from that side, now I'm kind of coming in uh, on the missionary side. But um, the things I really enjoy about it, I, I think BMW does a great job of... Um, you know, what you guys have talked a lot about and uh, what I've, you know, studied from uh, from your previous uh, previous chart and conversations is theological triage. You know, we know who we are and um, 
there we're we're unbending on essential issues, you know, the inerrancy of scripture, exclusivity of the Christian gospel, the centrality of the church, uh, etc. Uh, we're dispensational. Um, but it's not a mission that's dividing over, you know, even the kind of things we're talking about today, like, you know, what kind of music uh, style does somebody use or what version do they use? You know, it's, um, they do a good job of, you know, determining what hills to die on and then giving people a healthy liberty. Um, I appreciate that it's it's um, transdenominational. We have a pretty, pretty wide base that within our um, doctrinal statement and philosophy, you know, we have a lot of IFCA churches, um, but we also have others that, you know, they might be independent. Uh, we're starting to see some very conservative Southern Baptist churches that want to be more engaged in missions than maybe the cooperative program uh, allows them to be or is set up to be. Um, and if if we agree doctrinally, philosophically, then let's work together. So love that. And then um, I would say as a longtime pastor, I love the local church focus, uh, both on the sending church and on the goal of planting churches. You know, you said a healthy church is everywhere. Some some missions, um, you know, I, I turned the uh, phrase from um, from George Bush, number 41, you know, he talked about doing random acts of kindness. Uh, I think there are mission movements that do random acts of missions. Hmm. And, and we would say to be missions, we need to be, you know, obviously evangelizing, uh, but we're, we're making disciples. And um, and eventually, that's going to necessitate planting churches and training leaders. So uh, BMW philosophically is very sound, and um, I think I think they'll uh, they'll fight for the right things and then give deference uh, on some lesser things. Um, and by God's grace, the Lord is really moving. Um, the missions open up new fields, and um, you know maybe maybe a renewed energy. So who we are hasn't changed uh, doctrinally, philosophically, but. Um, just praying for momentum as the Lord sends out more labors. So, yeah, thanks for asking the question. Very good. Well, let's let's transition a little bit to uh, the main topic of our conversation today. Um, we got the title of your book, Theology That Sticks. Here we are. We are the Do Theology podcast. We I look at the title of your book and see, okay, the life changing power of exceptional hymns. Sounds like. If if you're looking at an argument from your book, uh, you're saying that we can effectively do theology with great music. Can you share a little bit of your belief on how music impacts the church theologically? Yeah, great. Um, I think I would say first, just very simply, um, music affects the church theologically more than people realize. Um, I think there are people that they're they're very serious on um, like a doctrinal statement. And uh, they're very conscientious to uh, expository preaching has become more and more normal in our circles. Um, you know, we won't tolerate error from the pulpit. But then sometimes we think about singing like, oh, you know, it's just it's a way to get the service started, warm up the crowd, uh, let children dismiss to children's church. You know, it's it, it's kind of uh, just movement music or mood music. Um, but scripture gives it a lot more importance than that. Um, the command to sing is the most frequent command in the scriptures, in part because the Psalms, you know, three times in a row, sing to the Lord, sing a new song, sing. Um, but it, it's a big part of church life. And um, I I kind of come at it from two directions. Um, the songs we sing, and, and I'm focusing mostly on hymns, but the, the hymns we sing, um, they reflect our, our theology. So what we believe, we sing. But then I think it kind of works back the other way as well. The songs we sing shape our theology. Mm -hmm. What we're singing, uh, we're teaching. And um, and if we're singing really you know, sound theology, then we're teaching people sound theology. And if we're singing uh, poor theology or just, you know, just kind of contentless ditties, then we're, we're also teaching, you know, so the... Um, our hymns are teaching for good and for bad, and I'm saying we need to be more careful in how we select them. I'm curious about the phrase that you used at the beginning of your response there, talking about how we can typically or subconsciously fall into thinking that music is the warm-up-the-crowd time of the service. 
Is there any room for that in our understanding of local church music, uh, that it's a time to get things warmed up, or is that something that should be dismissed altogether? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to use it to manipulate people. Um, certainly, your music ministry is going to set the mood for the morning. You know, I, I think it's wise. Uh, personally, if, if I'm crafting like a service order, um, you know, we're usually going to start with something that's kind of a call to worship, maybe an anthem, you know, more upbeat. And, um, you know, we may not, we may not usually have the first song of the service be, oh, sacred head now wounded, you know, something much more meditative. Um, but, but it should be intentional. And it's not just intentional. We sing, you know, we, we choose a song because it's really upbeat. The tune is great. People love it. It's, it's popular on the radio. I'm saying even if you use it, you know, to set the tone, great, but but still look at it through theological lenses. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot of ways the discussion could go. I love, I love to um kind of set a menu. So we're not just being singing a, a fast song and then you know a slow song, then the offertory, and then you know, uh, let's sing the first, second, and the last of whatever hymn. You know, I love it when an entire service is thematic. So, you know, this week uh, we're singing on redemption and our scripture reading for the morning is going to be on redemption. And then, you know, as we sing these songs, look for that theme and it might come out, you know, explicitly like redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, or there is a redeemer, or it might be just aligned, you know, with a, with a concept Jesus paid it all. Um, but we're doing it on purpose. So, yeah, I think you, you know that it is affecting us, um, and and you know to to warm up the crowd. I get it. it; it can do that. I guess I'm just saying it. It needs to do much more than that. Maybe not less than that. Amen. Well, in the book, you challenge music leaders to consider the choice of music to be a pastoral concern, as the reality is that many churches will look to individuals who are musically gifted, maybe rather than pastorally motivated. Uh, when it comes to leading music. And some, of course, even fall prey to making music time a performance art in the service. Why is viewing song selection and leading music generally, why is that to be considered a pastoral concern? That's a good question. Um, Part of it is, I think, we need to look at, um, number one, stop, you know, we, we need to stop saying we worship through music and then we have preaching. Um, preaching is kind of the climax of worship when we're listening to what God has to say and responding. So, you know, we don't want to break the service in half that way. It's all worship. Um, I think the other thing, though, when we when we separate the two, we don't realize how much um, our hymnody, our, our, our song service, you know, when I say hymns, don't think like old stodgy, you know, they have to be Watson Wesley hundreds of years old. It could be a very old hymn, and then it could be All I Was Christ, a very new hymn. Um, but if we if we look to singing as a teaching ministry of the church, then we'll realize, all right, this, you know, this is aligned with what overseers, what elders are supposed to be doing. So Colossians 3.16, uh, before commanding us to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So the word dwells in you. And then, you know, you're you're so full of scripture that it comes out in your conversation. So we're teaching and, and exhorting each other in all wisdom. But part of that teaching ministry to one another is, is um, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I, I think we, we need to see the teaching value of music. And um, I'm not, I'm not denigrating preaching. I'm a preacher. I love preaching. You know, there's a, a obviously a focus on it in the New Testament. Um, so, so don't hear me as, you know, de-emphasizing preaching, but um, I use an illustration, you know, nobody is quoting um, John Wesley, you know, he, he preached to millions of people, but you can't recite, you know, three sentences of his, oh, but we can recite Charles Wesley, um, because he wrote, and can it be, or Christ the Lord is risen today, or, oh, 4,000 tongues to sing, or, you know, Jesus lover of my soul, it sticks. It, it teaches us. Um, 
so you know you're you're teaching children songs and if you're teaching them really good theology it might be simple it might be the gospel song um or you you could be teaching them bad theology um i had a friend he said chris i looked at the cover of your book and uh at first it hit my eye as theology that stinks that's what i, I saw said, too <laughs> i said hey we could write that book <laughs> there's uh, there's hymns that teach bad theology. I, I'll give an example. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm doing it off the top of my head, so I'm not going to get exactly right. But I was um, in church, and this is a church that, you know, doctrinally I would be in agreement with. Um, and even on a topic like uh, six-day creation, you know, we believe just in a Genesis count, God did it 24 literal days. I believe that. The church believes that. And... Um, the church is singing, um, what is it? If if creation sings your praises, so will I. You guys heard the so will I, and it's, you know, a um, hundred billion, whatever. But in the, I think the third verse of the song, it says something like, as you speak, a hundred billion creatures hear your voice evolving, you know, at the sound of your command or, or the, evolving at the movement of your breath however it says it, it it says evolving and i just i'm standing in a church that doesn't believe that but we just sang that in a congregational song and um and i would say all right that's a pastoral issue somebody needs to vet what we're singing you know so wow i'm, I'm standing in church i just sang about evolution that's awkward um <laughs> And, you know, that's like a worst case scenario, but I think a lot is just, well, we didn't sing anything terribly erroneous. We just sang dumb stuff. Well, so, I have maybe a, another example of that, uh, not in the evolutionary sense, but still a, a theological issue is that song Days of Elijah that was really popular. Yeah. Um, that has some theological issues in it, too. I remember, you know, times when that would be sung and it's like, wait a second, I'm singing this in a dispensational church that totally does not believe that uh yeah you know there are certain things happening that this song says is happening right now uh but if well, and, catchy... and some of the stuff we sing some of the stuff we sing is just banal and um i've been i've been in settings where um very very conservative um you know separatist churches are critical of modern music and they you know seven eleven songs seven words repeated eleven times and they mock it and and then you look at at that church's hymnal and they have songs like cheer up you saints of god there's nothing to worry about or you know um you know we can sing some pretty silly stuff so you know i'm i'm saying it's not just we need to be more conservative in our sound uh we need to you know sing old songs like no we just need to be doctrinally intentional about it and um you talk about the performance mindset you know, I've been in churches where the praise team, the band is overpowering and nobody's singing. And, you know, they, you know, it's just loud. All you hear is the performers. I've also been in very conservative churches that the organ or the piano or the brass is blowing you away. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's less a matter of um, instrumentation and more a matter of, hey, you know, we're trying to get people singing together. And the sound of church music, the best church music is congregational. Um, I'm not opposed to choir, I'm not opposed to like a quartet, a solo, but but the, you know, years ago I would say congregational singing is special music, uh, you know, because we often call solo special music or whatever. But anyway, long answer. Uh, music is a teaching ministry of the church. And so pastors can't take a pass on it. That's really good and and really important for us to think through. And I think the the next logical question that comes after hearing a response like that is, okay, well, how do we go about thinking about it intentionally? You know, we, we think about you know the history of the, you know, the the music wars or the worship wars that that went on for years, and it used to be a divide between the old and the new. And I think we're pretty well past that in most churches these days. But there's still a battle between which new, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of discussion. I think you were even referenced a few moments ago about, uh, you know, the, the fighting over like being very critical of these different things, but your book 
doesn't focus on, oh, all that stuff is bad. Your book really seeks to present a positive case for how to select good music. So when you hear a new song, what are some things that you're looking for? What's the grid that you're bringing to the table to, to evaluate and consider? Is this a good song for my church? Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely tried to write a book that was not just another angry entry into the worship force. You know, that, you know, I'm opposed to guitars in a cajon or, um, you know, urging people to use an organ, not a drum set or whatever. Um, I actually think some of those questions are much more subjective than we've admitted. I'm not, I'm not throwing it to the wind, but the Bible is very clear on the kind of texts we should sing. And on on the sound of music, it's um, it's actually you know maybe maybe more subjective than we want to admit, especially when we go back to the Psalms and look at you know kind of their expressions of worship. So I didn't want an angry book. Um, you know, guys, you go to a site like sermon uh, sermonaudio.com and you type in worship as your uh, sermon theme. My experience was half of those are angry. You know, like primarily we talk about what we don't like that other people are doing. And um, I didn't want to write that. You know, worship should feel like a call to prayer, not a call to arms. Um, and yet, you know, how how do we, outside of just personal taste, how do we kind of have a grid or a, a filter? And uh, so in the book, I try to, I try to be um, fair and relentlessly um, scriptural and not, you know, not take away from what scripture says, but we don't want to add to it. So um, I start with Colossians 3.16. Uh, our songs should be biblical, first of all. And um, I'm certainly, you know, emphasizing songs we sing in church, but 99% of the church doesn't get to choose church songs. You know, what? so why does it matter? Well, you're, you're choosing your songs you listen to when you jog or in the car or, you know, when you mow the lawn or with your kids. Um, so I think a, a grid like this is good for Christians in general. Um, so we start by being biblical. The word dwells in us. It comes out in our songs. Um, beyond that, I want songs to be not only biblical, but doctrinal. You know, you might, you might sing, um, you know, this is the day and, and I'm fine with that, but um, you know, it's, it's a biblical quotation. It's not particularly theological. Um, you compare that to arise my soul arise or uh, before the throne of God above, you know, there are songs that, that have a little bit more robust theology. Um, so I just mentioned, you know, um, texts that are like two, 300 years old. Well, it could be in Christ alone, which is very doctrinal, mm. you know, from the birth of Christ, death of Christ, propitiation, resurrection. Um, so again, what you said is it's not old or new. It's just be intentional. And um, I had somebody, when we started singing newer hymns, like written in the last, you know, few years or 20 years, um, somebody was kind of alarmed, like, Pastor, are we moving left? Are we moving more contemporary? No, no, no. We're, we're moving down. We're, we're getting deeper. So we'll sing Watts and Wesley, but then we'll sing Getty and, you know, Coughlin. Um, and, and you'll notice that the, the, the great lyrics are very similar. There, there's a timelessness to it. Um, so yeah, I, I just think having that mindset where we say, I want to sing things on purpose. Um, what are, what are our songs teaching and, um, and how can we use them for the most good, especially because there's hundreds of thousands of options and you get to sing what five, five per service. So tighten your filter and, and use uh, those teaching opportunities a little bit more in, intentionally. Well, let's go into the Sunday morning service. I've got just a few quick hit questions for you on uh, the way your Sunday morning service is set up uh, and maybe just your general philosophy of music in the fellowship. What is the role of instrumentation? We've been talking a lot about lyrics, but you you mentioned instrumentation before. What's the role of instrumentation on a Sunday morning? Yeah, the goal of, I would say, instrumentation or or accompaniment um, you know, it could be as simple as a guitar or a piano. It could be acapella, you know, in some settings, but, but the goal is to support congregational singing, you know, so um, it, it's not a performance. You're, you're not drowning out. You're actually emboldening people to sing. You have a really good accompanist 
um, regardless of instrumentation, they're kind of propping up the congregation so the congregation uh, feels more comfortable to sing out. But it, it shouldn't be drowning out. Um, and, and again, whether that is um, old instruments or new instruments, uh, we want support. What's the appropriate balance in your mind for hymns, older hymns, and contemporary songs on a Sunday morning? Yeah, uh, boy, another great question. Wait, and, and you just so, said five songs a minute ago, so one of them has to win. You can't do even if it's five. There's gonna one. One of them's gonna be three or more. So, <laughs> well, so do two old, two new, and then do do one song. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I try to encourage people, like you know, hey, you need to be pastors. You need to be teaching your church to sing psalms. Mm. Um, you know, we have an inspired hymn book. You know, I, I love Watson Wesley. Who's better than them? Um, God. You know, he wrote 150 songs for us. We should sing those on purpose. I think if we're not, we're actually disobeying scripture because um, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, we should sing psalms. Um, so we should sing a psalm, you know, at least with regular consistency. It might be a mighty fortress is our God, but even, even that's inspired by Psalm 46, but then it kind of, you know, um, wanders. There are, there are, psalms being written that you're actually you're not just singing this is the day the lord has made you're singing the entire song i love that um and there's there's more of that there's good psalters being written today and um so that's part of it but i use not just singing a psalm um at least you know regularly monthly at least would be a good start but um i use the psalms as an example as well so in the in the psalms you have a thousand year period where you have songs written by Moses, you know, and then and then around the close of the Old Testament scriptures, you know, we have this collection of psalms. And um, if I'm in a church and every song was written during my lifetime, I feel like it, it's unhealthy. Um, so, you know, there's some people look at In Christ Alone as an old hymn. And, you know, I just like, oh, that... You know, or I love the old hymns like Bill Gaither. He's still alive. That's not an old hymn. <laughs> um, but if if you sing, if you sing Be Thou My Vision, that's 1,500 years old. You know, and I, if, if you sing a psalm, that's 3,000 years old. And then you sing, um, you know, then you sing his mercy is like, more. Uh, Jesus, thank you. His mercy is more. Come behold the wonders mystery. And I think part of what you're doing is you're teaching people that Christianity is not novel. You know, it's not like only the latest counts. We're benefiting from the best for, you know, from the entire history of the church. Um, but then on the other hand, you don't want to teach that Christianity is dated and uh, we only sing 200 year or 500 year old songs, you know? So sometimes to even point out, you know, what we just sang, we're going to sing Be Thou My Vision and then maybe a gospel song like I'd Rather Have Jesus. They have similar themes written a millennium and a half apart, but the truth never changes. You know, so I think that's, I think it's pretty important. Um, and the tendency now is for a lot of churches to not sing any old hymns. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think we're kind of robbing our people of part of their heritage and, and the kind of doctrine that will feed their soul. And to that point, what do you consider to be the best hymnal out there for local churches? Um, boy, that is that is tricky. Um, there's a great statement by Matt Boswell. Um, you know, his mercy is more coming with wonders, mystery, and others. And he said the uh, the Christian hymnal has no back cover. Mm -hmm. You know, the the canon will never be closed on the hymnal. Um, so we want new songs. Um, so in some sense, you know, you get a you get a good hymnal, um, but you're, you're still aware that boy, there might be a, a new song that is really powerful. Please, please, please don't just sing it because it's new. Um, one of the things we've we've lost with a hymnal is the hymnal um, brought an intentionality, a timelessness. You know, there are there are editors choosing this kind of curating hymns. Now, you know, something is written and sung within a month, and there can be a tendency, almost like that, 
the Athenians, you know, we're always looking for something new. Um, so if you're using new stuff, you might even need to lean into the uh, the vetting of the hymn a little bit more. You know, make sure you're not seeing something stupid or erroneous. Um, Dan Kreider um, has really served the church well. Uh, he has a hymnal called Sing the Wonders. I like that a lot. It's not uh, widely known. Um, hymns of Grace uh, is put out by Master's Seminary, and uh, they've done a really nice job balancing old and new, um, you know, bringing real intentionality. And um, they're also in the process of releasing Psalms of Grace, which will be a Psalter. Um, so that's going to make it easier for people to sing Psalms, like I was saying. Um, so yeah, there's there's a variety of them. Um, but even within your hymnal, you know, you're you're going to kind of have to vet the songs that are in there and make sure you're you know singing the ones that are really good for your congregation. One of the advantages, of course, with a physical hymnal is the sheet music is right there. And I know yeah. there are lots of people who appreciate that, who like to sing harmony or um, just like seeing the music instead of just words on a screen. So they n know how to prepare for the next line of what, what's going to happen. How do you value that in Sunday morning worship? Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of um, conflicted. I love hymnals. I love the heritage of it. Um, I love that, you know, something in a hymnal is probably something we're going to be singing in a hundred years because it's gone through a, you know, kind of the filter and there's, you know, there's an ongoing value to it. Um, in some ways, people sing better when they're reading off the screen because instead of, you know, looking down and singing into a book, the entire church is looking up and, and singing out. I think you feel a little bit less isolated. You know, I, I enjoy the freedom of that. Um, you know, then you, then you open up the problem of you have, you know, what if, what if the uh, slide advancement doesn't work? To, you know, um, <laughs> it, I don't know sudden, if it's a matter of if, uh, but when, <laughs> when it's going to happen, or you know, the the guy doesn't make the change until we just finish the last slide, so everybody's waiting. You know, you miss the first three words of the new slide, um, or there's typos. When people type my name, um, they just they uh, they type it as Christ sometimes just because you know I'm Chris. I did that. Typo. I did yeah. that today. <laughs> yeah, or vice vice versa. So, you know, we had one Sunday we're singing in Chris alone. My hope uh, hope is found, and uh, yeah, that's not not true and you know blasphemous. Um, those kind of errors can be really distracting, you know. But um, I, I love reading music as well. And, um, and and teaching our kids to read music. And I think there's a value there. So I would, um, I love when churches, there are services out there that the, the lyrics are on the screen, but it's actually giving you the four-part harmony as well. And, um, you know, there's people that make that available. I don't have any advertisement or link to give you, but yeah, I, I kind of like it both end. Yeah, and uh that one service you mentioned, I think it's called doxology.app, I think is is one of those that you, you can type in your song and it will give you PowerPoint slides with the music up on the screen as well. I, I, I like those a lot too. Cool. Um, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Psalms. Uh, that's something that I have, for a long time, I was very desirous to sing Psalms in churches, but with, there were very little resources available, and that has really changed in the last several years. There have been a lot of resources that have been developed and come out recently, so I'm very grateful for that. Can you uh, just take a minute to explain what is a church missing if we are not singing the Psalms? Yeah, boy, we're we're missing inspired songs. Um, you know, I, I joke during the worship wars, I joked with a friend and said, you know, if only God had foreseen this and given given us an inspired hymnal. Um, you know, he he did. Hmm. And we're commanded to sing the Psalms, you know, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So uh, Psalms are easy. That's Psalms. Um, hymns are, I think, uninspired, but but doctrinal um, songs. And then maybe spiritual songs. They're, they're not carnal. They're they might be more songs of testimony, like our gospel song. Um, there's variety in, in, you know, I think the three categories aren't absolutely airtight, but we are commanded to sing the Psalms. Um, so we're being disobedient. We're also missing, um, we're missing out on 
a resource God gave us, uh, the the Psalms, the inspired um, hymnal that has been used in the church. It was it was sung by Christ. You know, after after instituting the Lord's table, they sang a psalm and then went out. Or Christ is you know quoting like Psalm twenty two uh, as he's hanging on the cross. Um, psalms teach us how to think. They teach us how to feel. They teach us how to pray. Um, Calvin would say there is not a single experience of the human heart that's not reflected in the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would say, you know, one of the chief things we're missing out on is um, learning how to lament. Um, you know, we t- remember earlier we talked about, you know, um, using songs to warm up the crowd. Sometimes, you know, people say like, hey, we, we need to sing all chipper, all happy, you know, and, and some of our songs even say like, now I am happy all the day. R- really? Are you? Um, we need to learn how to lament. And um, of the 150 psalms, 60 of them are laments, um, 40%. Mm. So, you know, may, maybe we should use that as kind of another grid in how we choose our songs. If all of our songs are teaching this triumphalistic, you know, march to heaven, um, we're probably not aligned with scripture. We need to teach people, hey, you know, the, the Andrew Peterson song, Do You Feel the World is Broken? Yeah, we do. Well, and I I would just throw in there um, several years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, Sovereign Grace came out with an album that was based on the Valley of Vision. And we sing a couple of those songs regularly in our church, In the Valley and Every Day are both songs of lament. And I have heard from the people in our congregation that those are some of their favorite songs. They really appreciate when we sing those songs. I had a a professor in a... Um, grad program I was doing a couple years ago, Dale Ralph Davis, um, PCA guy, great commentator. Love his commentaries. uh, So good. Um, But he he actually taught, I think, on um, Psalm 88, which is kind of the darkest in the Psalter. It it never, you know, a lot of Psalms you have a lament and then it resolves at the end. And Psalm 88 just, it just laments, you know, there's never a but then. And, um, he he made a statement I'll never forget. He says, God gave us the songs of lament to teach us that we're not crazy. Like I'm I'm not the mm-hmm. first person to really, you know, be in a dark place, to be discouraged. And you know, a, a lament is it's a song of sorrow, uh, or a song of confusion. You know, how long, O Lord, I keep calling out to you. When will you hear my voice? Occasionally it, you know, the audacity of the psalmist is kind of shocking. You know, how long will you keep hiding your face from me? You know, God, I'm calling to you and it feels like you're hiding from me. Well, God's not hiding from you, but but the experience of a, of a heart in grief, the psalms tell us we're allowed to pray like that. You know, so I tell people, you can pray mad, um, just don't stop praying. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can come to God and say, I'd why are you doing this? I don't get it. Um, you know, I think praying like that, um, the Psalms kind of give us a green light on it. Um, so that's where I say they teach us how to feel, how to think, and they're not all um, jubilant and joyful. There are some, you know, but even Christ is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah. So, um, so you, you picture somebody comes into church they're going through cancer treatment or they're, you know, going through um, grief over wayward children or, you know, whatever else is happening in their life. And we sing these slap happy songs. It starts to feel like Christianity is disconnected from reality. Hmm. Uh, But if you come in and you sing, you know, it is well when sorrows like sea billows roll or, or you sing, um, he will hold me fast is one that, you know, we've kind of grabbed onto almost like a life, a life rope, you know, when I feel my faith is frail and everybody's singing, if they're thinking, they're like, yeah, I've, I've lived that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's a real balm for people. It shows them that Christianity works even in their sorrow. So when we, when we don't sing the Psalms and 
songs like the Psalms, then then we're missing that. And um, I would say uh, I had a professor um, named um, Michael Barrett when I was in college and seminary. He now is with Joel Beakey at Puritan, um, but he he refers to the the Psalms as a hymn book, but also as a handbook. So we should sing them as hymns, but they also kind of give us a handbook to teach us the kind of songs we should be singing um, that are not songs. So anyway, yeah, psalms psalms are important. Who do we think we are? That mm. um, in the last hundred years, the, the church has always been benefited from singing the psalms. And now in the last hundred years, you know, we think we've outgrown that or something. Part part of it, in fairness, part of it is there are a lot of really bad psalters. Um, my friend says, you know, some of them sound like they were written by Yoda. You know, they're just, everything's inverted and awkward. I had to make it rhyme, right? Exactly. Uh, but now there's some really good ones. Yeah. I have an OPC pastor friend who's always trying to convert me to acapella psalm singing. And he gave me a CD one time and I listened to it and I thought that, that that's not going to convert me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't help your case there. Yeah. Now, a lot of times when I start talking about singing psalms and the importance of that, sometimes I hear people like, oh, how, how do you sing the imprecatory psalms? There's some psalms that make us feel uncomfortable with some of the themes contained in them. How do we think about that in our corporate worship gatherings? You know, it's it's tricky to do that, um, but I have to check myself. If, if there are psalms that I'm embarrassed of because I think they're too severe, or maybe the problem is with me and not with the inspired psalms. Mm. Um, you know, an imprecatory psalm is really calling out to God for justice. And um, and there's something very godly about that. And it's against our modern sensitivities, I think. But, you know, even, even in the book of Revelation, when, when there's judgment, there's rejoicing. And, or, uh, you know, the way back in um, the Exodus after the Red Sea, you have this song and you know the horse has been thrown into the sea, and the and the soldiers have perished, and and they're praising God for that. It's not politically correct, but to desire to desire justice is a good thing. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't perpetually pray for your neighbor to, you know, um, have his jaw broken or something, but to to pray, Lord, we live in a sin cursed world. We long for the day of of your justice, of your equity. Um, you know, make things right, vindicate the righteous, judge the wicked. Um, I I think if we're commanded to sing the Psalms, then it's not up to us to filter out the ones we find it objectionable. Um, but I, I think you have to, you know, there's some artistic ways to make it, um, you know, something that might not be quite so jarring for people. But yeah. Sing, sing the scriptures and don't don't filter out the scriptures. And one of the things I liked about uh, one of the, I can't remember exactly where it is in your book if it's in relation to this or something else. But you make the note about how sometimes we sing lyrics that maybe are not it's not familiar language to us, and there's a a moment an opportunity to explain to the congregation, hey, this is why we're singing what we're singing, and this is the and so you can have that explanation teaching time uh, that can help the congregation understand and embrace what you're trying to do with the music. So that's good. Now, again, it's a teaching tool. So, yeah. and, and you, you know, sometimes somebody's waxing eloquent for five minutes. I'm like, just shut up. Yeah. So can say. <laughs> but you could, you can segue in a sentence or two, highlight a phrase or, you know, make a connection to scripture and, and just, I tell, you know, worship leaders help people think because they're not thinking most of them, you know, but take a moment, you know, even before the service, pray like, Lord, help us clear the clutter and focus on what we're singing, what we're saying, what we're reading. I, I love to send out the um, the hymns on, you know, maybe the Friday before mm. and tell people the theme for Sunday service is, um, you know, the God of all comfort. And we're singing these psalms and reading this scripture, and hopefully they can come in, you know, prepared. But um, we're trying to get people to mentally engage. Well, we are uh, we're getting towards the end of our time together here today. But one thing I wanted to mention uh, that I really appreciate about Church Works Media, how accessible a lot of the music that you have on your website is. Today, I downloaded the free package of uh, the Reformation hymn, 
PDFs in there, multiple keys, um, you know, the chords, the sheet music, the hymn, you know, all of it was in there and a, a demo of the melody. I just thought that was very helpful. And when a lot of times music is behind a paywall, it was just refreshing to see you have that available content for free. So I thank you for that. No, praise the Lord. We've, we've just from the beginning, you know, our bread and butter has been writing hymns and making them available to churches for free, you know, download them, copy them. And, uh, you know, we we have maybe some uh, arrangements available that we sell and devotionals, that kind of stuff. But um, providing free music has been something we've done on purpose. Definitely check out the, um, there are Psalms. There's not a ton, maybe maybe 10 or 12, but um, Joe Tierpak, who uh, I pastor with in Ohio, um, he is so good at writing um, lyrical, um, metrical versions of the Psalms. And if you read the psalm and then you read his artistic rendering of the psalm, you know, it's, you know, it's probably dynamic equivalence, but it's, it's kind of line by line. This is, you're singing scripture. And then what he'll do is um, he'll use a familiar hymn tune. Mm. So your people don't have to learn, you know, you, you could sing a psalm for the first time and you're using um, a familiar tune, and I'm trying to trying to think of an example. Um, Psalm one, he writes to um, um, like a river glorious, so you can sing the tune and focus on the words. So check that out. But yeah, we're glad to provide that ministry. Well, we cannot finish this interview without asking you. What are your three favorite Christian songs or hymns of all time? You got to narrow it down to three. It can be it can be songs that are more contemporary or hymns from the hymn book, but top three favorite all time. Wow that that is that is tough. Um, let me give. Oh boy, how do you do that? Um, <laughs> and can it be? I think is amazing. Um, and can it be a love arise, my soul arise, hmm. um, and probably before the throne of God above with oh. honorable mentions, um, in Christ alone. And hey, hey, that's cheating. Stop okay. it. <laughs> but I, I would probably, I would probably defer to older songs that, you know, I've enjoyed for a lifetime. I would say just very fast, um. I love to sing, you know, I, I talk about Arise My Soul, Arise. I love to sing deep theology. Um, what's that I mentioned before the throne of God above? Is that my third? Um, but we also need to sing some simpler songs to um to help children keep mm -hmm. up and, and to kind of, you know, don't don't bury them, stretch them so they can sing more. I was in church um next to a, a recent convert, recovering drug addict. Um, he was illiterate we're singing something like arise my soul arise and he's he's lost you know he, he just couldn't sing and then uh, after a prayer time i think we sang a very simple chorus like god is so good god is so good he loves me so you know he died for me but um all of a sudden this guy is belting it out and you could tell how excited he was that he could participate so uh you know it's like the ocean so, you know there's there's great, great depth, but there's also a shoreline where a child can run and play. And so we, we need to be careful. Don't don't become a hymn snob. And <laughs> and don't make of this a new legalism where you're just eager to condemn everybody. You know? We um, recently started incorporating, well, within the last couple of years, starting incorporating singing on Wednesday nights. And before the kids go to their kids' class and the adults have their class, we sing together uh, three songs, and we've got those simple choruses from 70s, 80s, and 90s, step-by-step, uh, step, and Thy Word, and and songs like that that are just really simple choruses, and that's a really sweet time, too, because I, I love a lot of those songs. Uh, One Pure and Holy Passion, I, mm -hmm. I just love those simple choruses that I don't want those to get lost in the mix. Well, and, and you think about you know, you learn those as a kid and they're immediately in your head. Yeah. Um, and you're teaching kids, sometimes you're teaching them the words they don't even fully grasp. But, um, you know, one writer said teaching children hymns is like, like, you know, setting a time bomb. 
they're memorizing this stuff and later there's going to be an understanding where boom they they get it but um i tell parents you know you're not choosing songs for your church but you're choosing songs for your home um your car ride um teach your song teach your children songs that you want them to know to to minister to them for a lifetime Mm -hmm. and um you know choose well and i i know people on their deathbed they're not calling for me to come preach to them. They're calling for the church to come sing with them or somebody with Alzheimer's um, can't remember the names of their own children or faces. They start hearing a hymn and it's, they're singing it, you know, so it's back to that. You know, the, the title of the book is theology that sticks. We are singing miniature doctrinal statements and we could really use them for the good of our children, for the good of ourselves, good of the church. So it's important, more so than people think. Well, I love that mindset. Um, I, th- I remember being exposed to that concept in uh, from Daniel Block's book, For the Glory of God is Theology of, of Worship, and how he talks about the, you know, we think of worship as like, it's for me, right? But it's not for me, and, and we're teaching others, and so we want to sing songs that can communicate to different people in different walks of life, different age levels, et cetera. And I think that's a really, really helpful reminder of how we select our music. Awesome. So, well, Chris, we do thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think this is going to be a really helpful resource for the church for years to come. For anyone who's interested, um, this book is available for purchase at ChurchWorks Media or Amazon, anywhere. I think you can find books. Um, and it's got a really impressive list of endorsements. I was looking through the, those beginning pages there. It's got endorsements from people like John MacArthur, Conrad Mbewe, Steve Green, Matt Merker, Steve Lawson, and many, many more. Uh, recognizable names that you at uh, our listeners would know. Al Mohler wrote the forward. It's a very excellent book. And so I just encourage anyone to go and pick it up. And again, Chris, we thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, appreciate what you guys do. I, I think I told you offline that um, I recently was asked to speak on how to show deference to people and kind of theological triage. And um, the work you guys have done on that has been really helpful. So okay, praise appreciate God. what you guys do and, and glad to be with you today. Thank <laughs> you.